0: How how would you act if someone who to you was really great walked into your school or walked into your office place this week? You would probably be stunned. You would probably be uh, awed. You would uh, probably be a little bit in shock. Did you know if you were ever in the presence of the Queen of England, there are certain things you do and you don't do. One thing, you don't go redneck on her and stick out your hand to go, Hey, how's it going, queen? You don't do that with a queen. You don't extend your hand unless she extends her hand and wants to shake the hand of a commoner. If you've ever had the opportunity to be in the presence of someone who was outstanding or great, it's an awe-inspiring type thing. We've been in a series on Sunday nights on being in the presence of God. Now, the Bible tells us that God is everywhere. God is in this room this hour. If you are a Christian, God lives inside of you. Isn't that an amazing thing? God lives inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But there are times in the Bible where God makes himself known in special and supernatural ways. And that's what we've been studying, we've been looking at uh, on Sunday evenings. That's what we're going to look at this Sunday morning and the next Sunday morning. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It is a story we looked at Wednesday night, if you were here, and two Sunday nights ago we looked at. It's a story that has some horrible things in it, And some really good things. And today, I think a wonderful thing about worship. There's one thing for sure. When you come into the presence of God, who is the greatest, most awesome person being ever, it ought to uh, bring a lot of things out from them. But one thing it certainly should bring is worship. And I want to talk a little bit about being in the presence of God this morning and worshiping God and what that means. And let let me begin with this. Folks, when you and I really love God and we really worship God properly, we will be misunderstood. When you really love God, when you really worship God, you're going to get outside of the box, be it a Baptist box, a Pentecostal box, a daddy or mama box, because God doesn't fit in our boxes. And worshiping God will lead to being misunderstood by people. In this story... We're about 3,000 years uh, in history, about 1,000 years before Jesus Christ. And what's going on? David is the king of Israel. And he is consolidating the two kingdoms of Judah and Israel into one kingdom. He is making... Jerusalem the capital and he's consolidating bringing everything there and they're trying to get the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. How many of you saw any of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies? Okay, that was about it was fictitious of course about them trying to find the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant now please wait and do this this afternoon or do it tomorrow in school when you're bored. Uh, not that you won't be bored in a few minutes with me anyway but Don't hurt my feelings now. In Exodus 25, it describes the Ark of the Covenant, and it describes it in several other places in the Bible. It was a magnificent article, magnificent piece of furniture. I mean, it was meticulously made. It was covered with gold on the outside, covered with gold on the inside. No wonder the Nazis and Indiana Jones were looking for it. But more than anything else, it represented Literally, the presence of God in the middle of his people. And inside of it contained the most precious artifacts to the Jewish people. uh, Ten Commandments, a couple other things. And, And with it was power, sometimes in a bad way, sometimes in a great way. And it had been the centerpiece for the Jewish people until the Philistines, Goliath was a Philistine, give you a little thought on that, captured it. Uh, Eli was the priest, and it says, uh, I mentioned this for two weeks in a row. He was sitting in his chair, and he heard the ark was stolen. He was real fat, and he fell out of the chair and broke his neck. And I've always said that's a terrible way if your obituary, especially if it's in the Bible, because it's forever read. Fat preacher dies falling out of chair, <laughs> breaks his neck. And if it's me, then Dr. Blackwater says, I told him it was going to happen, P.S. in there. So anyway, uh, the the, the Philistines capture the ark, and and they have it for a while, and and they don't respect it right, so things go horribly bad for them. And they give it back to the, the Jewish people, but really... For about 60 or 70 years, it kind of, it's just kind of like in a closet. King Saul never prioritized it. So David is doing something great. He is bringing the ark that represents the presence of God. God's everywhere, but it was a special physical way of representing the presence of God in their midst. He's bringing it back to Jerusalem. And there is a tremendous celebration and party going on. Look in verse 14 and 15 with me of chapter six, Second Samuel. It says, David wearing a linen ephod, this was kind of a vest of the priest, danced before the Lord with all his might. Now we know David was not Baptist here, while he and his entire house of Israel Brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Now, go back with me 3,000 years ago. Think of what a tremendous event this would have been. This wonderful treasure to the people. But more importantly than that, man, the presence of God is being brought into Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, what a tremendous celebration was going on. And everybody was super happy. No. No. Everybody wasn't super happy. Mrs. David was one who was not super happy. David's wife. We look on in verse 16 and verse 20. Verse 16, it says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Jerusalem, Michal, daughter of Saul, this is David's first wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. You get a boy, do you get the, the yuckiness of that? Despised him in her heart. Verse twenty, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. She's being very sarcastic, disrobing himself in the sight of slave girls and of servants as any vulgar fella would do. Folks, here is the where, where the word battle axe was coined. <laughs> Man, the great celebration is going on. God is being honored. God is being brought back into his right place. And 99% of the people are so enthusiastic and they're so excited. But the king's wife is disgusted by what's going on. Why was she disgusted? Now, I want you to listen because I don't want you to get confused that I said something stupid, which I probably will before the sermon's over. But why was she disgusted? It says here that he disrobed himself. I literally thought, and I'm sure I'd heard this from somebody, that David was dancing basically clothesless, with, except with this vest on. And if that would have been true, Ladies, she would have had a right to have been upset, correct? Absolutely. She would have. But if we go to its parallel story, the story's told in 1 Chronicles 15, too. In 1 Chronicles 15, 27, it says, now David was clothed in the robe of fine linen. We were all, all the Levites who were carrying the ark, as were the singers and the Canaanite who was in charge of the singing of the choirs, David also wore the linen ephod, the vest of the priest. David's not a priest, but in this ceremony, he is acting not only as king, but also as kind of the priest mediator. But did you see that? He had on fine linen, fancy long johns, basically, nice long johns, and this linen vest on. He was not inappropriately dressed. Here's what he did. He took off... His royal robe. He set aside his crown. He dressed as a commoner and as a common priest. And that's what disgusted his wife. She was more concerned about appearance than authenticity before God. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. We're more worried about what somebody's going to say or think than we are about getting real before God. A friend of mine, pastor friend, told me one Sunday they were having a revival. They had many people come forward. A church pretty similar to ours, probably size-wise and, and social economic makeup. Many people, they took them to a counseling room in another part of the church, and, and my minister friend was counseling a man Who'd come forward. The man was already a Christian, but he was coming that day to say, I'm really wanting to get things right with God. I'm not where I should be. I want to get things turned around. But here's what he said to my buddy. He goes, I am so concerned what my wife's going to think and say about me coming down this morning. Man, that's terrible. That's terrible. But it's happening in here this morning. I wonder how many people maybe even in this room, but certainly in churches all across the world will someday die and spend eternity in hell because they were too afraid what other people were going to think so they wouldn't take that step for Christ. Or they need to be baptized and profess Christ, but they won't do it because what is my husband or my wife going to think? Or when we're singing and we're praising God, you need to cut loose a little bit more. Not for show, but to express your love and worship for God. But you're concerned what other people are going to think. Let me tell you what David's response to that concern was. In verse 21 and 22, David said to Michal, It was before the Lord. I'm not trying to show off. I'm not trying to draw attention. It was before the Lord. Now, he gets a little snippy back with her. Who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the people of Israel? I will celebrate before the Lord. Don't you like that? Verse 22, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes but by these slave girls you have spoken of, I will be held in honor. What an awesome thing. You know what David said? David said, young people, listen. David said, I don't care if the older people don't understand. I'm going I'm to worship God and I'm going to love God. Us who are older. You know what he said? My wife doesn't understand. My husband doesn't understand. My friends don't understand. I'm not trying to... It's not about me. I'm not trying to put on a show. But I'm going to love God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to put Him first. And if people misunderstand me, they judge my motives. They look down upon me. You know what David's response was? I'll, I'll humiliate myself even more. Isn't that awesome? You see, you and I will be misunderstood when we, st- when, when we make a statement that God's going to be our priority, we're going to love Him, we're going to worship Him, we're not going to care what anybody else says, we're not doing it to draw attention, but we're not going to care what other people say, we're going to be misunderstood. But you know what God shows us? Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Here's the second thing we see in, in this passage, that real worship always leads to a rightness with God and with others. Now, man, this is so important. When you, when you really worship God, it always leads to things with God and with things with others being better, at least, at least from our end, in our perspective. Verse 17. David brought the ark of the Lord, and he set it in its place inside the tent. That David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Let me explain the significance of these two offerings. And they, they were significant. The burnt offering was for forgiveness of sin. It was, it was a repentance, atonement type of offering. And when you brought the burnt offering to be sacrificed... You burned every bit of that. You you killed the sheep, killed the cow. You burned every bit of it. None of it was left. None of it was saved. Every bit of it was offered to God. It was offered to God as a total sacrifice. And, And that's you know what that shows us about worship? Worship... Again, the word worship means to prostrate or to, to bow down before. And, and when we worship, what this burnt offering was saying, God, we need you. We need your forgiveness. We need your cleansing. And we're committing everything about ourselves completely and totally to you. It says not only burnt offerings but fellowship offerings, which in other places are called peace offerings. Now, here's the difference in this. When they would bring the animal for the fellowship offering, They would kill it, and they would burn some of it on the altar up to God. But other parts of it, they would save, and they would eat, and the priest would eat. In fact, they would have fellowship meals. It it was literally a way, a, a fellowship or peace offering of saying thanks to God and saying, God, we are fellowshipping with you, and we're fellowshipping with one another. Very significant. Listen, guys, worship always leads, first of all, to you and I being better with God than we were before, okay? Another friend, pastor, told me, in a galaxy far away, in another state, in another place, he had a person come to his church, a very uh, energetic, outgoing type person. His church was kind of reserved And and this person was very enthusiastic. She raised her hand. She clapped. She amen. Preachers love people who amen, by the way. (laughs) She would come down a lot of Sundays. She would pray with one of the ministers. Oftentimes she would pray in tongues, and and that's a different sermon altogether, but I believe that tongues used properly is a valid thing. Uh, uh, Prayer language It's not my gift, but but it is a, a valid thing. But he said they begin to notice a strange trend about this person. Around town, she was known to having a vulgar mouth, (laughs) cheating people, mean-spirited. And he said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I think a whole lot about that. But I would say this, number one, she's not worshiping God on Sundays. She's creating some emotions in a stir. But listen, worshiping God makes you better with God. You and I bring... We bring harm on the name of God when we make a spiritual show and we leave here and we cuss out the waiter at the restaurant. Amen? You see, worship changes us with God. It makes us better. Secondly, it changes us with people. David was not a priest, but he was acting priestly in in this, this scenario here. We see in verse 17 again, they brought the ark, they offered the sacrifices. And in verse 18, after finishing the sacrifices and the burnt offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then look in verse 19. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of raisins, uh, and and a cake of dates to each person in the crowd. Now, these were kind of staple foods of the society One thing you guys do not know, we learned this in seminary, this is the origin of giving the fruitcake for a gift. You thought it was your grandmother, but it wasn't. It was King David giving it here. I realized that I was getting older this last Christmas. I got a fruitcake for Christmas, and I actually ate a piece of it, and it tasted good. That is a sign. (laughs) That is a sign that dentures are the next thing in my, my life. You see here where he said he said the cakes with fruit in them this was to you and me that doesn't mean anything maybe a fruit cake but it was s- symbolic of this day and age of uh, a cake with fruit was symbolic of life and it was a way of saying if you gave that to somebody that you were honoring that person and that you were expecting something from that person and and here certainly it was talking about it was talking about what david was doing for them and what they should do for For each other. You notice this worship here, it not only affected them and God, it affected how they responded to one another. Several years ago, I went to be a guest speaker at a place, and I walked in, and not many of you have done this. It is fun, but it is different because you go in, you don't know anybody. And it was mostly younger people there, so I thought there'd be a lot of enthusiasm. And I came in, and they're not, the people aren't very friendly. Now, this is, if you go to church here, this is a big, big lesson to you and to me. They're not very friendly, but I'm okay, you know, I'm carrying a Bible. I probably look nerdy. They know I'm going to preach, so they aren't going to be friendly to me. I'll get them in a minute. I'll change my message and preach on hell or something. So I I watch them while they're singing. Man, they are they are raising their hands. They are they are really getting with it. I mean, it's it's just a lot of energy in the room. Then I get up to preach, and I'm certainly not saying anything I said was good. But you know, I mean, they tuned me out. I mean, it was you know what that is, don't you? Yeah. Uh, none, nobody ever does that here. And. They talked. They were disinterested. And then when I left, I am the guest speaker. I leave. Hardly anybody says goodbye. Nice to see you. Please don't come back. Nothing. They don't say anything. And when I got in my car, I realized they enjoyed the music, but they weren't worshiping God. When you leave here today, if you can't speak to somebody in the hallway, you didn't worship God this morning. Worshiping God always goes vertical and then it goes horizontal. When we worship God, you can't, you can't see it like, that's not worshiping God. It's not. I didn't burn your pancakes this morning. Don't be mad at me. I went by the donut place. It was closed this morning. That broke my heart. But I'm not mad at you. Wayne's leading music. Don't say you're worshiping God if you're sitting there like. Well, I don't know the song. Can you read? (laughs) Four months after I got saved, I'm sitting in a service. And I'm just singing away. And it's I know I don't have a good voice, but man, I love God and He changed my life. And I'm sitting by this older Christian girl. We were kind of courting a little bit, and and she wasn't singing. And I asked her, I said, Why aren't you singing? I don't know the words. Can you read, honey? And uh, I think that was our last date, even. (laughs) Worship's got to affect who we are. It's got to affect us with God. It's got to affect us with other people. When the ark of God came into the place, folks, they, they, they they were affected. Now, let me go back and say... Do I think we need to, t- to turn it up in here? Absolutely. I don't mean the volume. I mean us. But again, noise, noise is not an indicator that God's working. You agree? Again, it's, it's, uh, it's us and God. It's us and people. Mark Twain said noise doesn't mean anything. When a hen lays an egg, it cackles like it's laying an asteroid. <laughs> It's great to make noise, but remember, worship affects us and, and, and God and us and others. And here's my drive home for us today, hopefully. It's okay to express our love to and for God, okay? It's okay for you and me not to draw attention to ourselves, not so people will think we're spiritual, but it's okay to express to God our love In verse 14 through 16, David wearing the linen ephod danced before the Lord with all his might while he and his enti- the entire house of Israel-, Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now let's talk about this dancing for a moment. Clayton, raise your hand. I need to embarrass you just for a second. Clayton. Clayton's mother and dad. Let's give Oscar and Sarah here. Let's give them a hand. Believe you me, they've had a tough 49 years raising Clayton. When we were in college, Clayton was famous for, for his dancing. Now, his mom is going to be heartbroken about this. Mary was humiliated because they dated in college. but when, when we were in, in our fraternity and we would have dances, we would always ask Clayton to do a certain dance. Uh, it was called the Jed Clampet. How many of you How many of you have ever seen Jed dance on the Beverly Hillbillies? He does a particular, and Clayton would do this at fraternity dances, and he wasn't even drinking was what was the, uh, it, it was fun. Now, David was not doing the Jed Clampett, okay? David, it says David, literally, he was jumping, he was twirling around. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, it was part of their culture then. Pagan, in the pagan worships and the Jewish worships, they danced, they danced at their weddings. They, they danced as a part of who they were. And in early Christianity, there was some dancing in the services. The Greeks brought this into the, the Christian culture, but it quickly got out of hand, as you can see how it could. And so there's never any kind of command in the, the New Testament to, to, that we should be dancing in our service or anything like that. The, the principle is this. When God is in the house, it ought to shake us up a little bit. It ought to get us excited. I know the sermon's painful, but it's just 25 or 30 minutes. We ought ought to be motivated. How many of you watched the World Series the other night? I'm sorry, Rangers fans. I know this is going to be tough. Bill, I'm sorry. Donna, I I was for both teams. That way I was going to be happy. But, you know whether you were for the Rangers. Well, if you were for the Rangers, this wasn't good. But you know the celebration after the World Series. My goodness, they're in St. Louis too, which which multiplies it. But you know the players, man, they run out and they that. You could just imagine how exciting it would have been to be a part of that team and and the fans. I mean, it's just it's just so wonderful, and and you've got to just love that. And as I watched that, I thought, you know. I'd be doing, how much I would have loved to have been a part of that. But secondly, I thought, you know, we've got something far greater than baseball. Man, we've got Jesus Christ. we got God in the house. We've got God in us. And, and I'm not trying to be mean, but oftentimes we struggle to stay awake in a one-hour service. And I know part of that's my fault, or a large part of that is Maybe. Are we sing for twenty minutes and we're bored with it? When it ought to ignite our spirits and it ought to ignite our fire. I'm not saying that you and I need to dance in the house, but I am saying you and I to to be a little more free in our celebration of Jesus Christ would be a good thing. Vance Havner was a preacher in the 20th century, and Vance Havner he was a. I mean, I heard him preach in 1984, and he had to be 120 then. He was, you know, he was not a young guy saying this. He said most church services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. It shouldn't be that way. Man, we worship God. I I saw something last year from the Washington Post that I want to share with you about, about space. Our earth and our sun. 910,000, nine Earths could fit in the sun. Is that not incredible? Almost 1 million Earths could fit in the sun is how big the sun is. But recently, scientists have discovered a star much larger than our sun. They're calling it R136A1. I say they ought to call it Big Blue, but... Listen just to some of these facts. It shines 10 million times the luminosity of our sun. It's estimated surface temperature is 7 times hotter than our sun. And it's estimated to be 10 times bigger than our sun. Okay, our sun could hold 910,000 earths. And this star out there, that may be one of a billion yet to be found, could hold 10 of our sons. And Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's his footstool. And yet, he lives in you if you're a believer, he longs to live in you if you're not a believer. And the God who created all of that, the Bible says, knows how many hairs on your head. He knows what your need is this morning, and He's in this room. Don't you agree with me? We ought to express our love and worship for Him more. Here's what I want you to do in just a moment. You're not a Christian. The very first act of worship, you come in a moment and give your life to Him. Ministers are going to be down front. We'd love to help you with this decision. You come and do that today. Maybe this morning you're ready to join our church. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that is by coming and joining down here. We'll help you with that. For the rest of us who are Christians, man, God is calling you to worship Him, to step out of your box. Some of us, maybe it's just repenting today where we're standing or at the altar we need to do. Back in 2000, we were were having a revival at the church I was pastoring in Texas. The last night of the revival, one of my dear men, a deacon, about 70, came forward. Old retired football coach, tough guy, men's man. And he said, Chris, I'm coming for two reasons down here tonight. Number one, I need to get things right with God. Number two, I want to set an example because I know there's other people that need to get out of the pew and come down here too. They just need somebody to set the example and show the way. Christian husband, mom, young person, we're not trying to manipulate you down the aisle, but I'm saying maybe today is the day you need to make a move and come bow down before God. Let's stand, let's bow our heads. Wayne's going to sing a beautiful song. Listen to the words, and let's respond to God today.